Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. This is the seventh episode in our series, Freedom from Fascism, a Christian response to mass formation psychosis. I am Michael J. Sutton. Thank you for joining us. Today we are looking at how mass formation psychosis in COVID split the church and will lead to the great divorce. Last week we discussed the nature and problems associated with Christian fascism and the way soul catchers in the church use hypnosis to indoctrinate and turn attention away from God towards ritualism and nationalism. There's nothing wrong with nationalism or sentimental views of the past. We all have them. We tend to fondly remember events or people we have experienced or encountered. But fascists of all types, however, go further and engage in a reimagined past, a fictional past, invented for political purposes. Their followers become a socialised weapon to enforce contemporary conformity and rewrite history. The problem with Christian fascism and its historical revisionism is that you cannot return to something that never existed in the first place. This perverse obsession with the past, coupled with the magic show of the mass, separate people from God in Christ because Christian fascists have replaced the gospel with religious atheism. They believe in public morality, not personal faith. They believe in a twisted version of Moses and the law, and not the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Christian fascists are relentless in excluding people based on their list of unforgivable public sins, while Jesus welcomes all to come and find freedom forgiveness and hope. The God of Christian fascists is shaped by their loyalty to the state, while Christians have their faith shaped by their loyalty to God. The religion of Christian fascists is shaped by whatever whim or policy or edict flows from people in power. The faith of Christians is shaped by the person and work of Emmanuel, God with us. The great divorce is coming. And it is long overdue. How did mass formation psychosis in COVID split the church? How will it lead to the great divorce? During COVID hysteria, many churches, priests, pastors and ministers bowed in bended knee to the state, not only closing their churches, but condemning anyone who had a point of view that differed from the now discredited narrative of public health policies. Many priests brought politics into the pulpit, and told their congregations to get vaccinated. Many openly criticised other Christians who held to different views, ostracised them, and many lied about the work of God in the world. We often heard statements like the following. God wants you to get vaccinated. God wants us to love others, and the proof of this is our vaccination. Christians who do not take the vaccine are not following Jesus. Getting vaccinated is proof you love others. The best ones, of course, were get vaccinated and you'll stop the spread or get vaccinated and you'll not get COVID. Tell that to the thousands upon thousands of Australians who, despite being triple vaccinated, are getting COVID. The statements about God and faith linking them to the vaccine vaccine passports and so on, 
Those statements are heretical. They're blasphemous and God will not let them go unpunished. The extent of spiritual abuse in these statements is unparalleled. Never in living memory have so many churches been remiss in guarding the deposit entrusted to those who follow Christ. What was really going on and what was it all about? COVID hysteria saw the revival not of Christianity but civic religion, the new state religion. This new state religion has long been the goal of the state, which has sought to extinguish the gospel in the West for decades. Christianity took a major hit in COVID. That was the goal of people in power, take down the church. It was mission accomplished. Those who remained in the churches will now need to remain on their knees as new directives come down the chain of command, including condemn Russia, promote climate change policies, and accept the new public morality. Some people have called this the social credit score system, but I refer to it in the old-fashioned way It's a series of loyalty tests. The new standard for Christians in the West will be their loyalty to the state through a series of public affirmations, statements and lifestyle choices. COVID hysteria was not the first loyalty test. The first was the war on terror. And I'm sorry, but it's all downhill from here. There is no new normal and no return to the good old days. You see, people in power and some in the church have had that conversation with the big guy down here. Like he promised people in the past, he promised them power and money and control. But he has no intention of giving giving it to them. He will stab them in the back, as he always does. That is his modus operandi. But people keep falling for the old tricks. After all, they're only human. But once you start bowing to the state, there is no getting up again. The cup that these priests and ministers have been asked to drink is full of poison, and there is no cure. Strong states don't need or care about loyalty, it's presumed and given in times of crisis. But in the last 20 years or so, we have seen the erosion of the credibility and longevity of the state in the West. The crumbling of legitimacy. Check your Bibles about the rise and fall of nations. What is the future of all nations? The future of all nations is dust, and if they're lucky, gradual but certain decline. Others end in fire. The future for nations today will be no different. No nation is under God's special eternal protection. But not everyone, however, bows to the national religion or to the dictates of the state, and it is for their sake that the great divorce is coming. In the days of Elijah the prophet, 7,000 refused to bow to Baal. In the days of the Apostle Paul, during a time of great loneliness, he was reminded by the Lord Jesus that I have many people in that city. And Paul, you are not alone. In the days of Imperial Japan, only the members of the non-church movement and a few other groups or individuals stood up for Jesus Christ. The rest bowed to Shoa and gave up their faith. Uchimura Kanzo, the founder of the non-church movement in 1891, refused to bow to the Emperor of Japan during the Imperial Edict of Education, causing great controversy. He went to the church, expecting to find support, but they all told him to bow to the Emperor as a living God. 
Well over a century later, many Japanese people still know the name of Uchimura Kanzo because he held on to his beliefs and refused to compromise. The reason the Japanese church is so small today is because of the apostasy of the 1930s. In the days of fascist Germany, members of the confessing church stood against Hitler and the Nazi party, while most German Christians supported the fascists and supported the Holocaust. In the days of the supreme power of the Church of England, the Puritans suffered at the hands of the state, and in 1660 some 2,000 church ministers were excommunicated for failing to bow to the Book of Common Prayer. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, was one such man. He was put in prison for 12 years for not submitting to the authority of the Church of England. In every case of mass apostasy, the apostate bishops, priests, archbishops and pastors have their clever theological arguments, their word plays and semantic obfuscation to defend their every repudiation of the gospel, as they have done during COVID hysteria. The Christians who lined up to support vaccine passports were apostates. Like Esau in the Old Testament, they were happy to sell out their faith for a bowl of soup, like Judas for 30 pieces of silver. As I've said before, churches and Christians that closed their doors to the unvaccinated or promoted vaccination policies in the pulpit or wrote COVID theology betrayed Christ and betrayed God's people. During COVID hysteria, however, people in power were genuinely surprised at the opposition. You could tell it in their faces during press conferences. For the first time in their life, they had encountered genuine Christianity. They had never seen it before. The only people they know are Christian fascists. Even the apostasy of prominent evangelicals and churches to follow the script from people in power did not stop them. The loyalty of this group of people, their loyalty was to God, not to their priest. What this represented was rebellion in all major denominations as people realised their pastors, priests and bishops were fake and spiritually corrupt. These new churchless people want a more personal faith, not bound by top-down laws and rules. The institutional church lost control of many of its own people. This was a broader problem for the state. People in power assumed that priests ran the churches and the hearts and minds of their people, but that is no longer true. COVID hysteria showed that for many Christians, God is the one in charge of their life. They only attend a local church out of convenience, not denominational loyalty. This was a shock for both the state and the church. But it was also the realisation that not all Christians turn up to state-sanctioned churches. There are many underground churches, home churches, informal churches and so on. This represents a threat to the state and the power of Christian fascism. The idea that Christians are reading their Bible, meeting outside of official state-sanctioned buildings and refusing to identify with denominations, terrifies the state and horrifies people in power who quickly label them extremists or conspiracy theorists. But these people are strong. They are spirit-filled and no priest or bishop controls them. They follow Jesus even when their churches tell them not to. Many Christians who refuse to toe the line 
on COVID policy were sick of the lies, sick of the double standards and sick of the restrictions. COVID split the church in the West down the middle. Consequently, it will never be the same again. COVID brought apocalypse, a revelation of many things kept secret. COVID was certainly God's doing, or at least God was weaving his purposes through COVID as he does through everything. Certain men meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Churches aligned to the state showed their true colours and their true loyalty, and finally in Australia the ambiguity is over that has lingered since the 1959 Billy Graham crusade, the high point of post-war evangelicalism. We know now that the established churches have engaged in a very successful pro-state counter-attack to revive public morality, loyalty to the state and the removal of the gospel from most churches following the pattern in other countries. The Anglican Church, which used to be the heart of evangelicalism, has fallen. It will not rise again. It is too busy proving its loyalty to the government. It is Australia's de facto establishment church, after all. That means it is doomed, like all the others. The great divorce is coming. It should have happened centuries ago when the church and state nominally divorced and went their separate ways, but religious people in power could not give up their power and have continued to meddle and interfere in nations for centuries. Nations have lingered for centuries in this limbo, this quasi-world where societies are not quite secular and not quite sacred. Liberal democracy has been the secret sanctuary for, for the continual survival of the old aristocratic fascist church. But now democracy is faltering, what will become of the old regime? The great divorce is the separation of church and state and the final long-awaited death of national churches, their surrogates and operatives, disciples and propaganda. Some are in an advanced state of decay, such as the Lutheran Church in Sweden and Germany, and the Italian Church. As it says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7, the memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The churches are rotting. There is decay everywhere, and this is the hand of God. He does not need to squash churches. They are simply falling apart because they neglect the cornerstone, which is Christ. The final demise of the national church, the church of the establishment, national religion, institutional religion, whatever you'd like to call it, is a blessing to be embraced. One of the great obstacles to the proclamation of the gospel is the national church and national religion where people confuse national identity with Christianity and Jesus Christ. Jesus is not on their side. Jesus is not a nationalist. He came for all nations. He came for all people, not just people who speak English and not just the English. He is on the side of truth because he is truth. Sadly, he would not be welcome in most churches now because he would not fit into their vision for public morality and loyalty to the state. Like many, I believe in the good news of Jesus Christ and that this good news is for all people everywhere. But like many, I am also deeply aware of the problems Christianity has associated with the West. People in India, China, Japan, the Middle East and even Europe believe that Christianity and the West are inseparable. To give you an example, 
Uchimura Kanjo experienced this as a young man when he and a few Japanese men, who had recently been converted to Christ, decided to start their own church, only to face stiff opposition from the missionaries who told them that the only true church was Presbyterian. We laugh now, but then it was no laughing matter. He was expelled as a heretic, but when the time of trial came, the Presbyterians in Japan lined up to apostatize and bow to the emperor as a living god. Why does every church need to be Western? Why the steeple or the church building or denominations? Why are churches so stubbornly based along national lines or lines deeply rooted in Western cultural experience? This is not Christianity. If this association remains, the prospects for the future of the gospel are in jeopardy. The only way the gospel can survive, the West, is if it is severed from it. How many people think Christianity is Western and Jesus is an American? Churches reflect European ideals, values and histories. Why should Christians around the world with other traditions and cultures copy the West when the Bible gives them complete freedom? COVID hysteria split the Australian church down the middle. There are two general groups. In Australia, the churches that support lockdowns and vaccine passports tend to be churches that cannot survive without government money. They are asset-heavy, with buildings and schools and hospitals, lots of debt, lots of property. Their faith is ritualistic, either the Mass or the Sermon. They talk about their special, exclusive traditions or values. They love their money, and they always want more of yours. Their loyalty is with people in power, because their power is a derivative of political culture. They either reject the exclusive claims of Christ or feel uncomfortable talking about them, especially among their rich friends. Their churches tend to be oppressive and authoritarian. Many evangelical churches towed the line of COVID hysteria. They are usually wealthy churches and connected to the old white aristocracy that runs Australia. They tend to believe in a white Jesus who does not want them to challenge their wealth. Most of the older churches that support lockdowns and passports have been hollowed out by years of abuse, a reputation of toxicity and corruption and irrelevance. They are all facing certain extinction. The church in Australia is completely irrelevant to the lives of most people. The leadership of the church is too corrupt, stupid or culturally inept to notice. Christian fascists run most of these churches now and the government sees the church as a key pillar to promote the new patriotism, the new public morality, how to be a good citizen, how to be loyal, how to conform, how to obey. As I said before, the poor evangelicals in these churches just have not read the fine print. They will soon be shown the door or asked to compromise or join the new holiness crusade to make Australia a nation of self-righteous people. In that world, there will be no need for God because everyone will be outwardly good and obedient. That ones that don't support the church lockdowns and the passports are often smaller churches, newer churches, and a few older churches that have a reputation for being a pain in the neck. There were a few of those. There were a few surprises. But overall, these churches tend to be poorer, 
and outside fixed ecclesiastical structures, they're not old enough to have stale, dead rituals or traditions. For them, it's about living out their faith daily, starting new things and having an open Bible. Theirs is a real faith, a faith of the everyday, one that is not confined to a sterile Sunday service. They elevate the Spirit of God, tend to be more innocent and naive, and happily spread the gospel to anyone they meet. They talk about Jesus and what it means to be a Christian. Many, sadly and tragically, are involved in the culture war. In Australia, over 3,000 people of faith stood up to Christian fascism and vaccine passports in churches, under intense persecution from Christian fascists. These people were abused, ostracised and harassed. Those who follow Jesus Christ persevere because they have the spirit. Christian fascists bow to the spirit of the state and they must ally themselves to the state. Christian fascists with their dead religion, fake rituals and hollow lives cannot survive without government patronage. History has shown that this alliance to be a broken record of bad decisions, but they keep trying. Our sin is what prevents a relationship with God. God sent Jesus Christ to take our place, to die in our place, so that all who believe in him might have eternal life. Christian fascists scoff at this. Jesus said he is the way, the truth and the life. Christian fascists laugh and say, we're all God's children and nobody need be a Christian. Jesus calls us to follow him. Christian fascists are not listening because they're too busy counting their money. It was their love of money that kept many churches silent in COVID. Jesus said a man cannot serve both God and money. It's that simple. The church does that and makes things complicated. If the older churches did not have their schools, uh, their hospitals and their corporations, then I believe that many more of them would have stood up to the lies of governments concerning the vaccines. They had the ship to protect, the estate, and there is far too much money. Jesus said, A man cannot serve both God and money. When the churches say that you can do both, then that is a problem, because they are contradicting the words of Christ. There may be some left in those corrupt churches who are Christians, and I'm speaking to you today. As a minister, have you worked it out yet? How long have you been in your denomination? And after seeing everything, do you still want to stay? How can you reconcile your understanding of the gospel with all the nonsense that denominations have created? It is impossible these days to be a genuine Christian and remain completely loyal, 100% loyal to a denomination, especially if you're a priest, a pastor or a minister. There are so many compromises with the gospel, so many compromises with God's word. As I said, what happens is that ministers in these situations compromise for the sake of the gospel, or that is what they tell themselves. They try to work within a corrupt system and promote the gospel. They try their best. They work hard. But wherever they turn, they're fighting nominal religion, tradition, racism, church buildings, class structures and heresy. But they stay because they are loyal within churches that are not loyal to Christ. But you will find it will be increasingly difficult for you to remain now that these loyalty tests have come in. 
Sooner or later, you must make a choice. Sooner or later, there must be the parting of the ways. You must decide, and you must speak. But when you do, you will be expelled. You must choose Christ as Lord, or you'll be forced to denounce your loyalty to Jesus. It is as simple as that. The last two years has seen thousands of ministers fall away and turn their back on God. It is a watershed moment in Christianity in Australia. But it's not just churches that supported vaccine passports. We need to be careful, because many people in the unvaccinated camp claim some sort of Christian affiliation. Some are genuine Christians, no doubt, but some are not. There is still a badge of honour in being associated with Christianity, despite all the Christian fascism. The pretenders take some of the words, the phrases and terms that Jesus uses and adopt them to their own cause, which is usually their desire to get involved in politics or promote their career. Be that as it may, it is increasingly difficult to discern who is genuine and real and who are the pretenders. But there is a way. What is their attitude to Jesus Christ? Is he their focus or is their focus politics? If their focus is God, their focus is the gospel and the Bible, then that's a good sign. But if they're always talking about the culture war or politics, my friends, be careful. COVID hysteria brought Christian fascism into the light. As we have discussed in an earlier episode, the culture war is a temptation for many well-meaning but mistaken Christians who think that they're advancing the gospel by forcing others to conform. Faith in Jesus cannot be forced. It must be a decision of the will, the heart, the mind, the soul. And this can only be genuine if it's one's own decision, not the decision of others. Living a life based on duty or honouring the ancestors or parents or spouse will not be enough for the trials and difficulties of life. Sadly, many walk in the clothes of a Christian in the culture war but are far from being genuine. They see a constituency that might advance their personal power grab. Christian fascists promote loyalty to the state, but they also promote loyalty to a reimagined past. These false Christians use one of three strategies. First, they like to talk about the Christian past in a positive light. As a result, they say things, for example, in the old days, more people went to church it's a shame people don't go anymore. Second, they often like to talk about moral decline. In other words, in the past people were moral and upstanding and Christian, but these days they are immoral. They talk of Christian values or family values or traditional values that are being undermined by new groups of people or minorities. Their targets are usually children. Christian fascists love going after children, just look at their fascination with infant baptism. These days they want gay and transgender children and teachers expelled from their schools. This is just the beginning of the purge and none of it, my friends, has anything to do with Christianity or Jesus Christ. The third strategy is that these fake Christians like to talk about Christian heritage, but they rarely get into specifics. In fact, it has only been in the last generation 
that denominations have stopped hating each other. In the past, most Christian churches despised each other. So, which Christian heritage are we trying to protect? It is easy to see, therefore, that these three strategies have everything to do with a reimagined national past and nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Jesus is a footnote to their ambitions and a name, someone who is useful only as a slogan. There are many versions of this Christian fascism, but they are all basically the same. They may wear different suits, but they were all made by the same tailor. Christian fascism is not Christianity because our relationship with God is a personal one, not a collective one. Nations concern people, but God is concerned with the individual. It's the same in the Old Testament for the people of God. Read Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes. These were national books, but individuals are addressed in terms of choices they needed to make in their lives, living in the paths that God had presented them. God's communal concern is never at the expense of the personal, because then he would not be a personal God, but a distant God. That is, consequently, the goal of Christian fascists. They want to turn the gospel away from a personal relationship with God to a distant national relationship with something God shaped, their ancestors and their lives and their past relationship with God. The culture war is not a personal relationship with God, but a collective relationship between the nation and its citizens. Christian fascists insist that their nation has a Christian character rooted in the past which has been overturned or is under threat. Christian fascism, I repeat, is not Christian, because Christianity is a personal relationship with God, not a collective, collective one or a communal one. It is not inherited. One does not become a Christian by virtue of being a national citizen, national citizen, but it depends on a personal decision to believe in Jesus Christ or not. You are either a Christian or you are not. It is as simple as that. The strategy of the Christian fascist will fail. People do not go backwards. They live in the present. And they certainly cannot go back to a past that never existed. Like the Nazis who invented Germanic myths to prop up the Holocaust, Christian fascists have invented a fake past. This reimagined past never existed. Take Australia, for example, and ask yourselves, when were the glory days? When was the nation Christian? Was it during the time Sydney was a prison colony and convicts were handed out to the landed gentry like slaves to work the land or sent to Tasmania to endure terrible cruelty and suffering? Was it then? Was it during the time the landed gentry and their friends in the church went out and slaughtered the indigenous people, the men, the women and the children? Was that the good old days? Or was it during the time of the Yellow Peril, when people were turned away from Australia because they were Chinese? Or was it during the White Australia policy, when people were excluded from Australia because of their race and their background? Or was it during the days of sectarianism in Australia, from the middle of the 19th century until now, when Catholics and Protestants hated each other? When was this magical time when Christian values existed, when Australia was Christian and everyone went to church and everyone loved their brother? Please tell me.
Christian fascism is also out of place with a modern society and will fail. Vaccine passports are loyalty tests for failed states, not strong ones. Fascism cannot survive for long because the world is too complex. A true Christian can thrive anywhere by rejecting Christian fascism and the culture war and following Jesus without the concerns of labels, prejudice and traditions. Modern problems often require complex answers and Christian fascism does not have any answers, only people to blame for the problems. Christianity will flourish as Christians listen to the Spirit, go back to the Bible and follow Christ. Those who are determined to stay in the old corrupt denominations will worship in silence a God who has long since moved on. As for loyalty, who would you trust? Those who refuse to change their principles or those who would simply do as they're told? Who would you trust? Those who remain loyal to their friends or those who would snitch on their parents or children if they attended a protest? How could you raise your children with the policy of our world today, which is, truth becomes true when we tell you it is? What they're saying is that there's no such thing as truth. In that world, you can trust nobody. And perhaps that was the goal of COVID hysteria, to weaponize the population, sow distrust and division, and keep people in fear, waiting for the next loyalty test. Watch them obey, my friends. It took them six months to demonize the unvaccinated. Only six months. It took them a month to demonize Russia. They're getting better and better. Who will be next, eh? I truly hope that you see sense if you are a Christian in love with the culture war or support a return to an imaginary Christian past. It is a failed project. It is like starting the Grand Prix with no engine. The vaccine passports are a loyalty test for the nation. They contain rewards and punishments. Injection means inclusion. Refusal means exclusion. It is not the way of Christ. Jesus does not work for your beloved leaders. He does not vote because he is the king. And I hope you see what is coming. The return of a new public morality. The foul stench of polite social hypocrisy. Most people believe that going to church is what it means to be a Christian. What I have been saying in these podcasts is the opposite. And that is, what you think of Jesus Christ is the only thing that matters. And once you know him, follow him. How you gather with others, how often and with whom, and how you pray or read the Bible, that is up to you. And as you grow in your knowledge of God, how you move forward in your faith will be made known to you by God. But COVID hysteria raises a problem, and that is forgiveness. Many Christians have apostatized because of making pledges of loyalty to the government and betraying their faith in Jesus for various reasons. Is it possible for them to be restored and find forgiveness? I don't believe many who accepted vaccine passports or mandates or lied to the congregations over the vaccines will ever accept their role in the deceit that has been the last two years. Many of them are already lining up to prove their loyalty by condemning Russia and Putin. Their churches will continue the shift towards public morality and away from the gospel. They left us because they were never of us, 
and they will soon line up to betray God's people again when it suits their hip pockets and their pride. But I am reminded of Psalm 130. That psalm reads, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, then who would stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you might be feared. There is forgiveness with God, found in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, and forgiveness for all who seek it, especially those who have wandered from their faith, come to themselves and wish to seek the Lord's face once more. It is never too late for anyone to begin again, and no one is too far gone to be beyond the love and mercy of God found in Jesus Christ. The sad reality is that Christian fascists do not believe in forgiveness. Their God is vindictive and a a grudge keeper, much like themselves. The Christian fascist hates the unvaccinated, They hate those who question their traditions, rules and regulations. And they hate the freedom in Christ that the gospel brings. Christian fascists do not forgive. And yet God does. And God's forgiveness is full and complete. A life focused on morality is a life with God absent. Yet this is the code of Christian fascism. Christian fascists have no room for God because they are obsessed with external public morality and not matters of the heart or the things only known by ourselves and God. How do we deal then with the failings of others or ourselves? What does God say about forgiveness? Are there limits to forgiveness? And what does forgiveness look like? Who did Jesus blame for his death? Did Jesus come to bring a moral code or a firm one or something new? These are all good questions, and we will look at them next week. Thank you for listening. Please visit freedommatterstoday.com and subscribe to our daily blog. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God.